Well, good morning. It is good to see all of you out this morning, and we're glad that you're here with us. And it seems like we have most of our number with us today, and uh, it's something we haven't had over the last few weeks, and so we are, are happy to have you with us. Our lesson for today is one of those harder lessons, I guess. Uh, it's one of those that we preachers kind of fear having to preach because sometimes we might be afraid of getting in trouble for them. And uh, it's one that I think is necessary. I think it's one that is needed in our world. It's one that has a little age because I, I have preached it before, but it's been about nine years since uh, the first time that I preached this. And um, the thoughts were, were very similar to some of those that, that I've been thinking about over the last month and, and thoughts that I wanted to share with you. I think as we look around at our world, uh, we are all in agreement, we are all under the same understanding that, that things have changed, that times have changed. And so much in our world is different than it once was. And it seems like in our world, as far as Christianity is concerned, we see that there are many problems that we face. And most, if not all, of these problems, I think, can be traced back to a singular root. It seems that our world, we have come to a point in our world where we see so many that have a lack of respect for the truth, and that being God's Word. And lack of respect for the truth has led to where we are today. We see that, that in our world, we are in a progressive, moving, moral decline. Thoughts and attitudes towards what God's Word calls sin have changed dramatically in recent years. And I think a lot of it, it comes from our media. It comes from the television shows that we watch and, and things of that nature. We, we, we have seen so many things that, that it, it's almost like it desensitizes Christians to what God calls sin. To what the Bible refers to as sin. And we've been warned about this before as well. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. You see, our world, we, we've come to a point now where the things that, that we don't want to hear about, well, we'll find somebody that, that will, will not say those things so we don't have to hear them. We'll, we'll just hear those things that, that sound good to us. And we've turned our ears away. Just looking at the, the world overall, we've turned our ears away from the truth of God's Word. Our country... Just looking at, at our nation in particular, was once founded 
on biblical principles. As a matter of fact, if you still go to some of the, the state monuments, uh, there are some of those that still have Scripture inscribed in them. Because that's, that's what our nation was founded on. But we've turned so far away from those. and We seem to have uh, little regard for God and His Word today. That is a problem. That is a problem in our world. Our lesson objectives for this morning are to learn what God's Word says regarding truth and morality. And then to apply this knowledge to our own spiritual lives and to our understanding. Make sure that we as Christians are doing as God would have us to do. That we are teaching what God would have us to teach. That we are the people that God wants us to be. We begin by discussing the truth. Our world has seemingly redefined what truth is. And we find that today relativism is a major problem. And you might ask, well, what is relativism? Relativism is a belief that your truth may be right for you, but not necessarily for me. Which means that you can have your truth, I can have my truth, and... I guess we can agree to disagree. We can choose for ourselves what truth we should believe. And it's especially a problem in the church because uh, in the way that we practice and the things that we teach, we have so many that call themselves churches that are not practicing what the Bible has taught. That are not teaching what the Bible has taught. And the belief among many is that you have your truth, I have my truth, we're going to the same place. That's basically, in a nutshell, what relativism is. The truth that is relative to you. But God's Word teaches differently. God's Word teaches the importance of one truth. The truth. Proverbs 14 and verse 12. There is a way that seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. In John 17 and verse 17, and in one of the prayers of Jesus that is actually recorded for it, He prays, Sanctify them by Your truth. Your word is truth. Matthew 24, verse 35, Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. 2 Timothy 3, verses 16 and 17, All Scripture, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. 
one truth found in the scriptures that are given to us. And from these verses we learn that God's word is truth. Not just some of it, but all of God's word is truth. That's the lesson that we're currently in on Wednesday night. Anything stating something contrary to God's word cannot be truth. If it says something differently than what God has said in His Word, in the Scriptures that we are given, it cannot be truth because we know God's Word to be truth. Don't we? God's truth, as He is, is eternal. And it will always stand. No matter what anyone else says about the truth or what anyone else describes as truth, God's Word is the truth that will stand for eternity. It is the truth that we are going to be judged on whether we have kept His truth or not. God's truth is eternal. Without solid truth, there is no solid morality. For example, how relative is truth when it comes to dialing a phone number? Now today we don't have to dial phone numbers because most of us have smartphones or we have the phone numbers saved in our phone some way. I, honestly, I don't remember Hardly any phone numbers. The only one I really remember right now is my own, Marissa's, and Sportscom's. Because I give it out so much. But whenever we dial a phone number, we expect to get the party that we are calling, right? But if you punch a wrong number in there, you're going to get the wrong person. You're not going to get to the right place by dialing a wrong number. How relative is truth when it comes to dialing phone number? How relative is truth when it comes to obeying the speed limit? If you get caught speeding, is the officer going to let you go because you believe the speed limit should be something higher than what it is? Is he going to let you go because you believe it should be something different? It, it doesn't work that way. If you get caught speeding, you're going to be sent to court. Or you're going to have to pay a fine because you disobeyed the speed limit. How relative is truth in regard to the speed limit? Relativism is irrelevant when it comes to our understanding and obeying God's Word. It has no place when it comes to the truth. There is but one truth, and it is the one truth that we need to be obedient of. Look at physical law, for example. God's natural physical laws have similarities to spiritual moral laws. Gravity. Gravity is always going to hold us on the ground. That's natural law, and it... it there is no relativism in it. It works, and we know it works. Mathematics. Now, you may make some mistakes in doing your math, but mathematics always comes out to the same answers, doesn't it? 
and chemistry. I really don't know a lot about it, chemistry, to be honest. But, but the same thing is true with chemistry as well. You're always going to come up with the same thing. You put in the same mixture, you're going to get the same result. These things never change. These laws apply to all people everywhere at all times. They do not change. And it's the same way with God's law. It does not change. And even in societies and, and in nations and governments that, that do not believe God's word, we still hold some of the same moral things as, as morally right or morally wrong. How relative is, is stealing, for instance? Almost anywhere you go, anyone that is stolen from is going to say, hey, that's wrong, you can't do that. How relative is murder? Wherever you go, whenever you see someone that has killed someone on purpose, you can't do that. That's wrong. And those have bases in God's moral law. There is no relativism in those. They are the same for all people everywhere. We still hold that those things are morally wrong. But today's morality makes truth trivial. And so we see many things, and we're going to look at a few of them, not all of them, but we're going to look at a few of them today that we see our thoughts, our attitudes toward these things that God's Word calls sin. Our attitudes, our morality has changed. Not supposed to. It wasn't meant to. But the way that we see these things, maybe we, we need to, to reconsider our view. Let's begin with lying. Is lying right or is it wrong? You know, we see it in God's law. We see it in the Ten Commandments, as a matter of fact. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 16. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. That is wrong. It was wrong then. It's wrong today. It's also commanded in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 25. Therefore, putting away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. If you look at Acts chapter 5, we see that lying cost Ananias and Sapphira their lives. It was a very serious offense. It was a very serious crime. Especially a crime against God. And they died. But today... Our morality, our current morality, makes this a, a trivial matter. Is it really wrong? Is it really a bad thing? You know, what, what harm could one little white lie do? And maybe it even regards circumstances. Maybe we look at, at certain things. Well, you know, 
in this situation, you know, someone is about to die, or are you going to tell them something that they don't want to hear because, I mean, do they, they really need to go to their grave knowing that? Mm. Maybe we'll just tell a lie here or there. I remember a, a preacher, I remember him, him using this example in a Bible class. He said, what if, if my wife goes to the beauty shop and she dyes her hair orange and she comes home and says, honey, what do you think? Am I going to tell her the truth? <laughs> so I need to. But again, our current morality makes that a trivial matter. makes it trivial even though God said it's wrong. Lying. Lying is not something that we should do. It's not funny. If you've been lied to, and I'm sure that, that most of us have at some point or another, it's not a laughing matter, is it? Lying has been wrong. And it is still wrong today. No matter what man may say. How about fornication, adultery, sexual immorality? We read of, of these things in Scripture. We know that fornication will cost one his eternal soul. We read it in Galatians 5, 19-21, Revelation 21-8. Adultery is... is also something that is commanded against in the Ten Commandments. Exodus 20 and verse 14. And even lust was forbidden by Jesus. Look at the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 27. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery. But I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. If your right eye causes you to sin, pluck it out and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for the whole body to be cast into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and cast it from you. For it is more profitable for you that one of your members perish than for your whole body to be cast into hell. Lust leads to the sin of adultery, and even that is wrong according to God's standards. Today's morality makes us wonder if fornication and adultery are that big of a deal. How often do you see it in the things that you watch? How often do you see it on the internet or hear about it on the radio? It becomes gossip. It becomes stories. But again, we, we have become desensitized to the seriousness of these sins. They are still sins. They are still forbidden by God. And we should still see them as sin today. Continuing in these sins and others will keep us 
from a right relationship with God. And ultimately, they will keep us from heaven. Look for a moment at 1 Corinthians 6 and verses 9 and 10. Do you not know that the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor sodomites, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners will inherit the kingdom of God. The sins of fornication and adultery, they're listed among many others. And it is told very plainly that those who continue in those sins will not inherit the kingdom of God. Are they serious matters? Absolutely. And even today we should take them very seriously. What about divorce and remarriage? What do the scriptures teach in, in regard to these? Matthew 5 verses 31 and 32. Matthew 5 verse 31. Furthermore, it has been said, whoever divorces his wife, let him give her a certificate of divorce. But I say to you that whoever divorces his wife for any reason except sexual immorality causes her to commit adultery and whoever marries a woman who is divorced commits adultery. And these the same principles are also taught in Matthew 19. Pick up reading there in verse 8. He said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning. But from the beginning it was not so. Divorce is so common today that, that we might be tempted to think that it is a natural solution to all marriage differences and problems. But God did not create marriage with divorce in mind. And when we go into a marriage, we, we shouldn't have that thought at all. It's only for the extreme circumstance of adultery against a spouse. From the beginning we see marriage's creation in Adam and Eve and, and how God founded uh, that marriage that relationship. For this reason, a man is to leave his father and mother and cling to his wife. And the two become one flesh. That's how marriage was in the beginning. And divorce is something that should be. Whenever we think of, of two becoming one flesh, what would happen if I were to, to try to attach my arm to something and rip it off? It, it's going to hurt, isn't it? But that's the same idea that we should have with marriage. It should be so painful for that one flesh to become two once again that it's not something that we look to again as a laughing matter or something that, that isn't that serious. It is a very serious matter. And only in extreme circumstances is divorce permissible. In the eyes of God at least, only in the case of infidelity. Anyone divorcing outside of the cause of adultery has broken the bond of marriage that is established by God. 
And for a man to take another wife absent of these extreme circumstances himself sins against God and God and causes she who has been faithful to sin should she be married again. A very common thing that we see in our world today but it is something that, that is not to be taken lightly. Abortion is also condemned by Scripture. Life is recognized in Scripture even before conception takes place. Have you thought about that? Jesus, for instance, had already been named before he was conceived. Luke 2, verse 21. And when eight days were completed for the circumcision of the child, his name was called Jesus, the name given by the angel before he was conceived in the womb. Jeremiah 1, and verse 5. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you were born, I sanctified you. I ordained you a prophet to the nations. Life was recognized before conception. And John the baptizer was very much alive within the womb. Luke 1 verse 41, And it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary that the babe leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. We've already mentioned that murder is wrong by God's standards. Going all the way back to Exodus 20 and verse 13. And we also understand that love fulfills the law. Look at Romans 13 verses 9 and 10. Romans 13 beginning with verse 9. For the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, you shall not covet. And if there is any other commandment, are all summed up in this saying, namely, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love does no harm to a neighbor. Therefore, love is the fulfillment of the law. Let's be honest, if if our government, if our nation truly loved with the love that they are to have, they would recognize the love for a child and abortion would still be wrong today. Only God has the right to take life as He is the creator and sustainer of it. Paul in his sermon on Acts 17 and verses 25 through 28 is sermon against idolatry. One of the things that he says here, Acts 17 and verse 25, nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might grope for Him and find Him though He is not far from each one of us. 
For in Him we live and move and have our being, as also some of your own poets have said, for we are also His offspring. The king of Israel, Jehoram, recognized his lack of authority when compared to God to kill and to make alive. Naaman, a leper, was sent by the king of Syria to the king of Israel. And in 2 Kings chapter 5 and verse 7, it says that it happened when the king of Israel read the letter that he tore his clothes and said, Am I God to kill and make alive that this man sends a man to me to heal him of his leprosy? God is the creator and the sustainer of life and only he has the authority to take life from this earth. And yet, as a nation, we, we, we see it. We see it throughout our world. But now, it's okay in certain circumstances. But according to God, it is never okay. Homosexuality, God condemns such in 1 Corinthians 6 verses 9 through 11. In Romans chapter 1 verses 24 through 28, we read this, Romans 1, 24. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves, who exchanged the truth of God for the lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, verse 26, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful, and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error which was due. And even as they did not like to retain God in their knowledge, God gave them over to a debased mind to do those things which are not fitting. These things are not natural. These relationships are not natural. Has our nation become like the evil nations of the Bible in our wickedness and lack of respect for the truth? Ecclesiastes 1 verses 9 through 11 That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. And there is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which it may be said, See, this is new. It has already been in ancient times before us. There is no remembrance of former things, nor will there be any remembrance of things that are to come by those who will come after. Not only do we approve of such evil behavior, but we also take pride in our wickedness. There are many others that we could consider. Modesty, misuse of alcohol, alcoholism, Pornography, all these things are, are, are wrong according to God's standards. And what is the result of such wickedness? We look at, at the nation's previous 
to this one. Those of, of ancient times. Sodom and Gomorrah. We don't have any places around named Sodom and Gomorrah. As a matter of fact, those names are very well remembered by even those who don't believe in Scripture. But we find that they were destroyed. And why were they destroyed? Genesis 18 and verse 20, And the Lord said, Because the outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah is great, and because their sin is very grave. Babylon. Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar in Daniel chapter 2 and verse 39, But after you shall arise another kingdom inferior to yours. Then another, a third kingdom of bronze which shall rule over all the earth. And there's a fourth also. And, and we see that as time progresses, even the greatest nations have fallen. And why? Because of their view of sin. Because of the wickedness that they participated in. The wickedness that they condoned, condoned and supported. Rome also fell because of spiritual division and lack of respect for God. We see other nations that have done similarly to what ours is doing today. And we've seen that in each of those circumstances, those nations did not stand as a world power. Does that mean that ours will fall? Maybe not in our lifetime. But it certainly seems to be heading in that direction. Now there are ways to deal with, with those that, that are participating in sin. Those that, that we know that are in sin. There are ways to, to talk to them and tell them. You don't have to be mean about it. We don't have to be hateful but love them. Speak the truth in love. Make sure that they understand that these things are wrong. In regard to abortion, I'll give you an example. I know that uh, Brad Harib and several others have, have started a, a campaign that they've been going to the local Planned Parenthood and they can be in the parking lot. And so try to catch people as they go in and, and just ask them if they can pray with them and talk to them. There are ways to, to express disdain for sin. We need to make sure that we do it in the right way. And as for, for us, you know, it's not too late. It's not too late for our nation. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verses 13 through 15. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land and send pestilence among my people, if my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and heal their land. Now my eyes will be open and my ears attentive to prayer made in this place. And I believe the same is, is true today. That if we as a nation humble ourselves before God and express repentance, we can be forgiven. But even more importantly, it's not too late for individuals either. For those of us who, who may have 
have participated in sins that, that we, we know are wrong. And yet we've done so anyway. One of my favorite verses of Scripture, 1 Corinthians 6 and verse 11, in this whole list of things that are unrighteous and, and those that participate in them will not inherit the kingdom of God, Paul states here, and such were some of you, but you were washed, but you were sanctified, but you were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. You do not have to remain in those sins. And the Corinthians, many of them had turned away from their sins. And you can too. There is hope yet. But if your life is not in accordance with God's will, if you stand outside of Christ, you need, need to be made right in His sight. Maybe you need to come in repentance. Maybe you need to come confessing sin or, or, or asking for forgiveness for, for something that you've done. Asking for prayer. We'd be glad to help you in that need. If you need to come in obedience to the plan of salvation, if you need to be baptized for the remission of your sins, We'd also be glad to help you in that area too. But if there is anything that we can do, we give you the opportunity to respond. As together we stand. As we stand.